Well, there is a screening of a new documentary. It is going to be taking place in Vancouver a little bit later on this month. And the film is called Invisible No More. This is just a bit from the trailer. It took a lot of violence in my life to make me a milder man. Never, 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 never give up. I don't give up. I get knocked down, I get back up. And keep believing that I can do it. I'll find a way. The film is called Invisible No More, and it talks about and looks at the link between brain injuries and the criminal justice system. And in the film, there are three survivors of brain injury, Derek, Richard, and Jim. And the film looks at their lives and looks at how those two things are connected. The writer and creator of the film, Andy Fiore, is with us on the line now to talk more about this. Andy, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, Jill. I'm very excited. This is such an interesting topic. You are a filmmaker, and your latest documentary, it is called Invisible No More, taking a look at the connection between brain injury and incarceration. Take us back. How did you get involved in doing this? That's a great question, Jill. So I I have a history of incarceration to begin with, and the reason I was incarcerated was because Um, In 1999, I went to Korea to teach English. And when I got there, um, I went through a sort of a culture shock. And I had a psychotic episode. I started to believe people were trying to kill me. People were following me. It was bizarre. I couldn't stay. I had to break the contract. And I ended back in Ontario where I was residing. And I was diagnosed at the Carlisle Medical Health Center with having had a brief psychotic episode. So it wasn't quite schizophrenia. But um, so they put me on the Lanzapine Zyprexa. I took it for 30 days, which is a medication for schizophrenics. And the symptoms lifted. I didn't feel like I was being persecuted anymore or followed. So I stopped taking the drugs because it was expensive for one. I was unemployed. I had just lost a job as a teacher. And what started happening was uh, the symptoms slowly came back. I ended up becoming homeless in Toronto. And then I moved to, I, well, I took the Greyhound to Vancouver. So for 10 years, I was homeless, running around, hearing voices, and um, struggling, and with a heroin addiction. I was self-medicating. The heroin quieted the voices. And the heroin addiction, uh, I was deeply entrenched in this addiction, uh, and so I was incarcerated for petty theft uh, to support my habit. I ended up working at Insight, the government-sanctioned safe injection site, uh, for one year as a peer-to-peer counselor. It was there in 2006 that I overdosed, and I was dead for six minutes. Uh, when I was revived, the first thought that came into my head was, why did you save me? Because my life had been, was just so horrible. I was inject all of the veins in my arms and legs had collapsed and I was injecting right into my jugular. So um, I, in 2013, I was a recipient of the Courage to Come Back Award and in the mental health category, things changed. And um, just recently, a couple a year ago, I became a support worker for survivors of traumatic brain injury through the Cridge Center for the Family, which I owe a great deal to because they employed me with my criminal record. They took me as is. And, you know, I became the best support worker. I learned so much about brain injury. I endured anoxic brain injury because of um, the overdose. And the hospital at St. Paul's, where I was observed, didn't even educate me on what I might be experiencing. So now I have 
poor sense of direction. I isolate. I, I have depression. And I have complex PTSD and post-incarceration syndrome, which means nightmares every night. So slowly but surely, I decided that I wanted to um, – I, I started talking to people, professors. Interviewed, I interviewed Professor Hugh Williams from Exeter University, who is leading in this area, especially with youth and uh, women through intimate partner violence that are incarcerated. And he shared with me his – his, his data and articles, and I was astounded. 80% of people in prison internationally have an undiagnosed brain injury. And so I found the most amazing men who had uh, endured a brain injury in childhood and in adulthood. Um, and it led them down this road of incarceration. And the stories of their challenges, and it's just so inspiring. I'm just so grateful that they came on board and that this film is getting so much recognition right now. Well, your story is is an amazing one. When uh, from from where you uh, were at some point, when you say that things changed, what was it that that changed for you that kind of helped you break that cycle and 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 get uh, and get to the place where you are now? Wow, that's an amazing question. I it's so when you go to the downtown east side in Vancouver, I was down there, and one of the things that I noticed was all of the people addicted to heroin, even people addicted to whatever, they all get sick and tired of being sick and tired. You reach a point where it just doesn't do anything for you anymore, and you're using just to feel normal. And so I would say 70% of these people, well, most of them, if you talk to Gabor Maté, 90% of them have been sexually abused, uh, emotionally and physically abused, but they want to, and they want to quit. But the resources are just not there. When you say, I want to quit today, detox is full. And so for me, I was very fortunate that in 1999, I made a documentary called Becoming Sound, a healing journey about five people that healed themselves from um, various uh, life-threatening illnesses using alternative treatments. And so I went online and I looked myself up and I was like, that, that was me. That, that was me. I was, I was on this path. I'm a filmmaker. What am I doing? And it was almost like the Boston Strangler when he went out to commit his first crime. He uh, posed as a serviceman. He got into the house, the apartment, and he was about to strangle the woman, and he was in front of a mirror, and he saw himself. And he was like, what the, what, what am I doing? And, you know, Albert DeSalvo had a wife and a child, and he ran away. He left. So mirroring that mirror, I saw myself where I was. I was like 99 pounds, and green phlegm was coming out of my nose. I was saved by being arrested. I was dying. And fortunate, lucky for me, I didn't contract HIV or hepatitis C. I was very careful. I never used with anybody. I was a loner. And so when I got to that point, I said, this is it. I'm going to reach out and get out of here. And I found my life partner, Supatura. And she saved me. Well, my guest is Andy Fiore. He is of Fiore Films, and he has just put out a new documentary. It's going to be screening a little bit later this month in Vancouver. And some of these details might be uncomfortable for people, but we're going to talk a little bit more about the three men who are focused on in this documentary, Derek, Richard, and Jim. And Andy, we talked about the film a little bit, how you got involved before the break. How did you get these three individuals to participate in the documentary? Documentary. I cast a wide net because I was looking for funding. And I've been successful in the past. I've received about seven film grants in about the last seven years. But this particular you know, uh, proposal was rejected by everybody. Originally, it was stories of reintegration. It wasn't about brain injury. I just wanted to follow inmates coming right out of prison 
So I wrote to prisoners. Um, I, I got on the internet and I got on, there's like dating sites for prisoners and they can connect with people. Uh, some just want to be friends. And so I wrote to like, you know, maybe 50 guys and maybe 10 wrote back. And then, but I lost them all because I mean, when you're in jail and you're, you've got all these hopes and dreams, but when you get out, everything's different. You're like a caged bird and then you're free. So you forget about your, your commitments. And so then I, I went in casting a wide net for funding. I contacted everyone in Victoria because I live in Esquimalt, which is near Victoria. And one of the places was Cridge Center for the Families. And I said, you know, I'm working on this project. And Jeff Singh from Cridge Center for the Families said, that's interesting. Come, we'd like to talk to you. So I talked to Jeff and he introduced me to a guy named Derek, 85 convictions, prolific offender, brain injured. And Derek and I hit it off. And it, actually, in the beginning, he didn't trust me. And it took, like, I interviewed, like, I, shoot, I shot a 10 to 1 shooting ratio because I learned uh, from CBC producers. I went to Ryerson Radio and Television, and that's who I learned how to make documentaries from. And so Derek, it took, so, it, like, five or six interviews to finally get him to be comfortable and share his story. But his perform, his story is, it may, it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's an important story. It, it deals with a car accident that then triggered uh, criminality. And, and, and so then I put, took out an ad in News Victoria, which is interesting, looking for, uh, you know, an uh, ex-offender or a person with experience in criminal justice. And this makey man named Richard contacted me. He was 73. And he told me this story that blew my mind. I couldn't believe it. I actually did pre-interviews over the phone 10 times with him just to confirm that everything he told me was real. And he never wavered. It was the exact same story. And I was astonished. He'd been abused, tortured. Um, in reformatories. Um, he was sent to the penitentiary at 15. He was abandoned by his mother and parents at five. He was robbing people at the age of seven with a gang just to survive. This man has been to hell and back. I think my story's something. Wow. <laughs> and now Richard facilitates programs for brain-injured children. It's the only organization in Canada. It's called Cultivating Local Yokel Society. I love this man. And I'm going to raise funds for for him. That's... Um, Jim Mandolin, ex-biker, Jim Mandolin, uh, he, he, oh God, Jim Mandolin was um, sodomized by his father. He was uh, raped by his aunt. Uh, he tried to commit suicide at the age of 11. And he left. He hitchhiked to Vancouver. He joined the biker gang. He got his first hug in jail. And he became an enforcer for them, a loyal one. So these stories are incredible. I'm so I can't believe it. What do you hope people take away from the documentary? I think it's important to understand that prisons are not correctional institutions. Prisons are punishment. And when you go through prison, what we're doing, Dr. Gabalmante says, we're taking people that have been abused and we're punishing them for being abused. We're taking traumatized people, we're re-traumatizing them. We're taking people that do bad things, not giving them a second chance, not putting them with people that are role models, but putting them with people that where they learn how to do more crime. We're, 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 we're making these people, we're turning them into savages. When you get out, I have a lot of legitimate anger because I was almost murdered three times in jail, and I really don't feel that I should have seen the inside of the jail. I fell through the cracks. And so I have a psychiatrist, I have three counselors, I have so much anger, but I channel it into positive things like this film. I made this film from the anger inside me at the criminal justice system that we have. It should be a restorative justice system. People should go out. There's a farm in Mission, B.C. called Emma's Acres. 
and uh, prisoners will go get a day pass to learn skills, farming skills, and they do it with victims of violent crimes. And there's a lot of healing that happens there. And so we need to we need to understand that um, with with this invisible memoir film, all of the people in the film they uh, overcame their brain injury, they overcame the stigma of their criminal record, and then they extended a helping hand to others. It's exemplary of the fact that this is possible, not only possible, but within our community. The more people that are contributing to that community, the, the more productive we become. Do you think that's possible for everybody? Because I think why this film is really going to resonate with people as well is when you talk about things like 85 convictions and we hear about crimes that are committed and then we find out somebody has had 100 plus interactions with police. The the knee-jerk reaction for people is often to question, well, why isn't that person behind bars? Why is that person still allowed to be out and committing these crimes? But is it that reaction because we're not looking at, at the the whole picture and looking at really what the root is of why somebody is committing those crimes? You just hit the nail on the head. It's the root. When you're walking down the street and you see a homeless person and you walk by that person, take five minutes to talk to them. Ask them what's happening. They'll tell you a story that'll blow your mind. And you'll find out with every person, whether they're a criminal, uh, whether they're homeless, whether they're in a hospital, whether they're addicted, there is an underlying reason. Dr. Gabor Maté says that 90, he, when he worked at the Portland Hotel Society in the downtown side, there wasn't one man or one woman that was his patient that hadn't been sexually abused, that hadn't been emotionally, physically abused. So um, Maté himself, um, you know, uh, grew up, I think, in uh, Hungary during the Nazi um, occupation. And he was abandoned by his mother at a very young age for his own safety. And so what happens is you take that personally as a child. The formative years in your life from one to seven are so important. And everything that happens to you in those years create the blueprint for what you're going to be like. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm going to be angry and I'm going to hate every single person I meet because I got a raw deal as a child. It means I have a lot of work to do. But I have the greatest potential, too. Look at this event I put together. I did it by myself. I made this award-winning film. I got Dr. Gabor Maté to sit on a panel. I got MP Alistair McGregor. I got Mia Golden, who works with uh, the Victoria Police. I got Ben Gesselbrack, Nanaimo City Councilor, who's worked in both corrections and brain. They're all donating their time. I got Trevor Hurst from the Line Crush, who's uh, uh, transitioned to become a psychiatric nurse on a remote reserve in Manitoba. This is going to be a powerful movement. It's not just a film. And so I did this through, by channeling my, my, my anger into this project. I want so much to change the criminal justice. We have to do it. If we want to make our streets safer, we have to do it. There are going to be the Charles Manson. There are going to be the people that are too, maybe too far gone, maybe too deep, deeply entrenched in evil. But, you know, I really do believe that everyone deserves a second chance. And the way, again, we, we have to protect our children. Well, I know a lot of people are looking forward to seeing the film. Andy, we will leave it there for today. But thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Jill. So um, 